Hi, everyone, and welcome to our live Q&A. Uh, welcome back, Michelle. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's been a little while, so I was excited to connect and do one of these today. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. And uh, for those of you who don't know this, like oftentimes we, uh, you know, we meet like a few, a minute or two before, and then we're like, what are we going to talk about before we have questions? But we didn't get to do this today, so now we have nothing to talk about. No, now it's like a high-pressure situation. <laughs> make or break we're in the deep end of the swimming pool right now <laughs> something like that well now in all seriousness anyone who's just joined like feel free to uh, you know post your questions in the in the comment section and we'll get to them okay oh david is here we were, we were rescued just now yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> he threw us, <laughs> threw us a, a rope there yeah <laughs> and uh, for those of you who don't know this is this is david from powers benzo coaching who um am, i'm making a docu-series with in fact, now we can talk about this. There you a little go. Bit. How's that going, Daniel? <laughs> now, in fact, David just told me that um, you know he lives in Florida, and uh, there's a Orlando has a, a film institute, and the Orlando Film Institute they have these um, competitions, you know, and they they just um, entered a new category, which is short documentary. Okay. So. Uh, so we're so David said like, hey, why don't we um, use some of the material that we're producing with our clients? So basically, for those who don't know, I'm yeah. working on the docu series where I, I meet somebody in person that has trouble sleeping, and we get to follow that person over you know several months and see the transformation happening. So he's like, why don't we make that into a mini documentary? And um, and I was like, yeah, we could absolutely do that. I, and and so um, that's in the works, and I'm excited about that. That's really cool. When's your next filming schedule? going to be or when is the next time you're going to travel to do a filming session it's it's uh november 19 i think yeah i'm gonna go over there and we have a a client who um uh yeah i'm really excited to work with somebody who you know seems very open to our ideas and and uh excited to work with us so yeah looking forward to it that's very exciting I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product. And for those listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but Coach Chris is also very involved too. Yeah, that's right. And I got the date wrong. Ah. It's going to be the 20th. <laughs> but yeah, um, Coach, it, it was funny when we were started planning this. Um, Coach Chris was actually living in Miami at the time. And, mm -hmm. um, and then at, as we had already started planning to shoot in... Um, now I forget the exact name of the location, but but it's it's like you know two like four hours like three four hours southwest of Tampa or something like that. Okay. It, it turns out that Coach Chris lives exactly where David lives. Like they live like twenty minutes apart from each wow. other. Wow, like minutes apart. That's really close. That's really yeah, super super funny. Um. So we were like, oh, of course you have to be part of this. So Chris is you know, definitely going to be part of this documentary. I think, I think what's going to happen is that I'm going to go there and shoot some live and then I'm going to have some zoom sessions with our client. And then Chris is going to do some sessions live there and uh, hopefully we'll see like this really nice journey and mm -hmm. it'll be really nice, but we got some questions. Jedi master rescued us. <laughs> Cause I was like, what are we going to talk about? I had about so here? many other questions ready just for the oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well, let's read this one. Um, Hello coaches, my family and I recently got a puppy mm. and has been barking in the morning and that's causing me sleep disruption. To add on top of insomnia, I've always had a specific phobia known as phonophobia. It is triggered 
by sudden loud noises like barking. It's a mix of insomnia and phonophobia. I know phobias tend to decrease with exposure, and I'm sure this too shall pass. It will, I'm sure. But tips would be good. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, Jedi Master. And um, yeah, Michelle, uh, when you hear this, what where do your thoughts go? Yeah, um, well, first off, congrats on the puppy. <laughs> um, and I've heard from so many people that that first, you know, several months is a big adjustment period and just so normal that the, the puppy is creating sleep disturbance. Uh, in this case, in the mornings. And so, you know, Daniel and I often will kind of share with people the difference between insomnia and sleep disturbance. So this was really the first place my mind went to on this was just this idea of um, kind of separating that out a little bit and knowing that there's so many things, including this puppy that are that can come in and create a sleep disturbance moment for us. But it's all about how you're perceiving that, how you're going to be responding to that. That will ultimately decide whether this becomes kind of part of the insomnia experience and creates a lot more struggle or if it kind of just ends at something that, you know what, this is kind of annoying, but it's not going to become part of the you know anxiety experience and the, the struggle with everything so that's sort of my initial thought and with the phobia i agree it actually could be really a strange sort of gift to have a dog that's it's it's kind of creating a little bit of this um i know that doesn't feel that way necessarily um but i even like as you said i think it was Je jedi master that he was saying i know that this too shall pass so i think you're coming into it with already a really great mindset and attitude about it and so if you can view each of those barks as a moment that you're getting an opportunity a really uncomfortable <laughs> opportunity to kind of face that particular fear and work through some of the feelings behind it um over time you might notice that getting a little bit easier so nicely said and you know i just want to share something firstly that came to my mind which was actually something from the comment section uh, on YouTube. And it was somebody who had gotten a puppy and had had almost you know, the opposite experience. They were like, they had, had trouble sleeping, they had insomnia, got a puppy, and for like a week or so, they were sleeping just fine, you know? And then they, you know, the insomnia came back and they, and they basically, I think they literally said like, the puppy stopped working, <laughs> and, you know? And it was like one of those moments when you're like, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got to, yeah, they returned it. I don't know, but it was just a, it was just one of those moments when anything that we think made us sleep can see, stop working. And and it was just funny that somebody said like a puppy stopped working. But that, that was just a little side side note. Um, back to this one, um, I I just want to you know spend one more one more second on the phonophobia and and talk about the levels of. A phobia, if you will, specifically like when there's something specific, like uh, you know, phonophobia here, like uh, the fear of like loud noises. And to me, um, it can really help to to see the difference between what I like to call now a token and like the kind of like the emotion that's underneath it. So, if we look at phonophobia, like the sound, it can seem like what we're really wanting to escape is the sound, and we want to get away from the sound, right? But in reality, if the sound didn't make us scared, we wouldn't try to get away. So at the core of it, it's always like whatever it is is that we're dealing with, we're always trying to escape the emotion, you know, the emotion, the fear is what we're trying to escape. And I think that's a little bit lost in in sometimes in the traditional space where they're like, oh, you're afraid of balloons, just like expose yourself to balloons. 
that may not be helpful if we're trying to like, oh, I've got to hug this balloon so I get less scared. No, no, because then we're not truly understanding it. So uh, fully understanding that is always like an emotion we try to escape. And, and then, as you said, trying to see if we can take advantage of the barking to be like, okay, I'm bark. there's a bark, there's a loud noise. Now I'm scared. Oh, escaping the fear is what creates struggle for me. Now I have an invitation to be with the fear as hard as it might be that that that's uh, so so i think understanding those levels can be really helpful what do you think michelle yeah yeah i completely completely agree it's really not about whatever the thing is it's that it's it's creating or triggering a response in us that we really don't want that's really uncomfortable and it's all about looking at that so say all, right. Yeah. all right uh steven says hi 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 steven hi. <laughs> And we have oh question specifically for Michelle. Question for Michelle. Sure. Was your tinnitus based on anxiety or something else? Did you get rid of it or do you still have tinnitus? Oh, good question. Um, so it was based on anxiety and was one of just so many physical symptoms that I was having um, as a result of my brain being in a place like a high alert you know, fear-based place. And probably all of you watching uh, have experienced yourselves that we can have a lot of different physical symptoms uh, as a result of that. And so that was one of mine. Um, mine was more in the pulsatile category, which just means it's kind of connected to the sound of your heart rate, heartbeat, sorry. And there's a bit of a, like a swooshing in your ears. So not necessarily the uh, what we think of as the traditional um, tinnitus, which I know is not the right way to say it, by the way, but I, that's, I always have trouble pronouncing it correctly. So I'm going to say tinnitus. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't, I don't have that anymore. Um, and so I know some people with tinnitus for certain reasons that are more connected to hear loss, that can be a little bit more of, as far as I know, a little bit more permanent in some cases for people, but oftentimes when we're having, um, a symptom like that in the context of high levels of anxiety, as we see with insomnia, uh, you know, oftentimes it can be connected to those hyperarousal symptoms that we're experiencing. So just to put out there, it is possible for tinnitus of all kinds to be part of that fear signal, part of that hyperarousal symptom. And um, did you get rid of it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not by forcing it down, but yes. So I no longer, uh, I no longer have that. I used to have that all every every single night. So yeah. So nice. Yeah, we should we should do a whole episode on this. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I thought that I thought I would add on to that is um, one thing I noticed when I was experiencing that was it was really mostly present at night. So that was interesting as well. Was to think about when it's showing up is it there all the time or is it there just certain parts of the day um so i i always found that a little bit curious that it would show up only in the evening as night was approaching and then typically during the daytime it would either be in and out or it would be at times completely absent um yeah. so i thought that was that was a little bit interesting as well because a lot of the times and again i'm not an expert on on tinnitus i will say that but a lot of the times when it's connected to um, you know, hearing loss, it might not be in and out in that way. It might still be connected to stress in a sense, but I'm not sure it's something that would only show up in the evening, Yeah. for example. Was that a clue for you when you're kind of like, ah, it's only showing up here and there? Yes, yes. But I was still scared, I think. It was a clue, but I was still worried about it at the time, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
Now, I just want to add that I think there surely, like we, neither of us is a, is a tinnitus or tinnitus yeah. expert. I don't know how the proper way of saying it is, but, but I, would, I, I would think that uh, regardless of what you have, we have these like two levels again. It's like one is what's mm -hmm. happening and we're like, yeah. this is actually happening. And, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And then we have our reaction to say, so even someone who has, let's say, hearing loss and has more of a, like a permanent um, tinnitus, yeah. um, the answer somehow also will be something in the realm of like acceptance, right? Because when we go like, I can't hear this, I, then then we get into, then we get hyperarousal on top of it, right? So. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. And that's why I mentioned it's still, even if you have that kind of tinnitus, it's still very connected to our own response and our stress and all of these things as well we, we can still influence a lot and you can still work and, and sort of train your brain to not hear it quite as much or even at all um actually i have a book recommendation if anybody's listening do you want me to, for tonight? yeah yeah leave that hold on i think it's, it's right behind me bear with me okay so if anybody is struggling with tinnitus of any kind this is a great book it's called rock steady by joey Reminil, I think I'm getting that right. And uh, it's actually really complementary to a lot of what we teach here. And so it applies really simple, um, similar principles, but to tinnitus. And it talks about tinnitus that is more from, let's say, anxiety and hyperarousal, but also from hearing loss as well. And it, it works with both. So if anybody's listening and they want to learn more about how to work with tinnitus and sort of demystify um, and take away the fear that we can have with a symptom like that. Uh, I think that book is, is so helpful. Amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that book myself. And we should talk more about this. But yeah. I'm reading. I don't know if you saw that. I've been posting about it a little bit. But I, I'm reading this book on smoking cessation by Alan Carr, like the easy way. Heard of that Amazing. one. Amazing. Is that the one, Daniel, that at the end, it's like you're done, you smoke your last cigarette, like while you're reading the book, and then at the end, you're done? Is that because I've heard of that? If that's the one. exactly that, and that, yeah, and that's the one part. Like, there's some the, the, the similarities between insomnia and smoke cessation. It's been like, again, like wow, mind blowing. It's so similar. There's some things that he does a little interestingly. Like, I think the main method is like you have this one five hour seminar where you, you're supposed to keep smoking and learn everything, and then you just stop smoking and then you're done. And I'm, I'm like, people probably a lot of times need a little bit of more support than those five yeah. hours. But anyway. That's funny. That's interesting. Well, keep us posted when you get to the end. Yeah, That's yeah. Fun. I'm going to do a whole episode yeah. on this. Um, and uh, Marco, by the way, says, thanks for answering. Very much like there's only shows at nighttime. Mm, that's a clue. That's a that's clue. A clue <laughs> right? And um, it's, it's a, well, yes, definitely a clue. And also to think about how that's connected to not just necessarily a conscious stress response that you might be having around the night, but also subconscious too, how the body and brain starts to gear up for that battle that we've been in and how even parts of that can even be starting to um, armor up and that our way, our body's way of doing that is often through tension. And so sometimes we can even develop tension patterns through the jaw and neck that might not be fully creating that issue, but can actually um, make it a little bit uh, like worse, essentially. Um, so just to, to put that out there. So, yeah. Uh, as we were speaking, Michelle, I just realized I made this boo-boo. I made it one time before. I forgot to take out the video 
that is like the previewed to uh, this. Oh, yeah. So now a lot of people probably are watching that video now, but anyway, what can I do? I have to come up with a system for that. Anyway, let's check in with Chris, uh, Kirsten, uh, who says, hi, Daniel Michelle. What um, are you meant to think about when you get to bed? I struggle uh, to not be aware that I've suffered from insomnia. Are you meant to ignore it? Many recovery videos I watch have people say that they recovered in one to two months. How many ups and downs did you have in recovery, Michelle? And can you, can you give me some advice? Let me just say, um, let's, I'm going to pass that one to you, Michelle, but on, on the scope of this one, it is, again, the smoking cessation book I was reading. It was He says, Alan Carr says in the book, like one of the most common, quote unquote, mistakes people do is they think they have to stop thinking about smoking. Like, I'm, I'm not supposed to think about smoking. And of course, then we think more about it, right? So. Yeah. Um, if we go to bed and we're like, I can't think about insomnia, I can't think, then of course we're going to think more about it. So I think the answer really lies in something like allowing thoughts, like whatever thoughts to happen when we don't try to stop them, they naturally become more fleeting. They come and go, um, is my thoughts on that one. So ignore, when we ignore something like I can't think about it, I have to ignore it. Very, very tricky. Uh, and there's no right or wrong. It's not like we go to bed and we're like, I'm supposed to think about this. Not that, like we don't have that control. Yeah. Um, and so I'll just say um, there are some questions for you, Michelle, specifically, but feel free to, to answer this one or comment on what I said, but back to you, Michelle. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I think there, that's a lot of pressure to not have to think about sleep or insomnia when you go to bed, when you've just been experiencing insomnia. Uh, I would say it's almost impossible because your mind has been going there for, you know, maybe a significant period of time trying to protect you. So that's what it's going to do automatically. So just to reiterate that. Absolutely trying not to have that. And um, sometimes people will say, what am I supposed to think about? <laughs> there's no there's no one thing to think that you have to think. Um, I think when it comes to those insomnia-based thoughts coming up, it's less about trying to prevent or fight with them and more about noticing what your mind is doing and seeing if you can kind of change your relationship with that. That's a longer conversation, but um, I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop there. And See if I can answer the second question, which is also quite long. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a really brief um, overview, which was um, I think you were mentioning that you know that you're seeing a lot of people recover in one to two months, and I would challenge that. I would challenge that because I think that's that not that it doesn't happen. It absolutely does sometimes, um, but longer recovery periods also are very very common, and it's so important to normalize that. Um, as well. So the majority of people don't necessarily recover within these really short time frames, and that's okay. So that's important to know. Um, I certainly did not recover within a short time frame, and uh, I almost never know how to answer the question around how long did it take, in part because I did not track it. That was very intentional. Uh, and also, if you have um, maybe listened to my, what was it, my success story video, I remember a little bit talking in there about how I had a, a truce period. And it's been a while that, since we did that video, Daniel, but I remember telling you about this in that video. And that was about a year for me. And really, it, it meant that I stopped fighting quite as much. And there was an element of surrender um, during that period of time for me. And I still didn't understand what insomnia was. I was still really afraid. But I did have this year-long period where I was starting to shift how I was perceiving and responding to it. And so 
that was a, a period of time I call the truce and things did improve during that time, even though I didn't understand why. And when I then stumbled on Daniel and, and started more what I think of as my formal recovery process, it took at least six to eight months from that point. But that whole year before for me is still like a relevant period of time because I think it was, it was part of it in a way. Um, so I hope that makes sense to those listening and also how, how that is a little bit fuzzy. But I will say that I, I had lots of ups and downs along the way. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't linear. It was lots of ups and downs. Um, so I hope that helps. So a little bit longer, which is very normal for many of us and speed bumps. 100%. Well yeah. said, Michelle. And um, David says, uh, I've shared your success story with so many of my Benzo clients. Aww. It's the go-to video I share. That's so nice. Thank you. I'm so, I hope it's been helpful. That's so sweet. Thanks for sharing that. Sure, it has been. Well, I'll let's conclude here. Um, uh, anyone who jumped into the first video and now is here, my apologies. I forgot to take the other one out for YouTube, but I'll I'll do a better job in the future. But thanks everyone again. Thanks, Michelle, and uh, see y'all next time. See you next time.